Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas with Life Over Coffee. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. I have Lucas Miles, and I'm not going to get into his bio here. I'm going to allow him to unpack that as we go along for the sake of time, and I really want to get into this discussion. But I will let you know about a book that I do highly recommend. It is called uh, Woke Jesus. It came out in uh, the summer of 2022 or 2023, Lucas? 2023 just came out. So the paint is still dripping on this book. Uh, I have started listening to it, and it is an outstanding book, and uh, God is doing a good work in Lucas's life. He's a pastor in Granger, Indiana, uh, but he has this uh, side hustle that I really want to talk to you about, uh, for, especially from a pastoral perspective, uh, because you're multitasking at quite the high level, and it's very important in our world because I live in a pastoral world, and pastors are struggling now because there's been this new thing that has been placed on them uh, as far as our culture is concerned, and they're learning how to balance this and how to communicate that. And I would love to pick your brain on that, Lucas. But anyway, welcome to the uh, episode. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me on. Excited to be here. Okay, so Lucas, I, I do want to ask this overarching pastoral question because I in our world, we interact with pastors all the time, and they are just busy people. And there's a couple of different philosophies that are floating out there. One of those is just preach the word and and everything will be okay. Stay true yeah. to God's word. Let's be expositional preachers, et cetera, et cetera. I'm all in on that. But the world doesn't play nice like they used to, or maybe it'd be better to say they were more subtle than they are now. They have always been encroaching into our domain. And so it's no longer where we can ignore this problem that's happening. And so my my question to you, well, there's a couple of questions here. Let me start with this one. How do you balance being a pastor at a local church? And now you're you're ever growing into this cultural field and relevancy that I think is essential. Now, by the way, I'm all for what you're doing. So this is not a cynical question at all, but having the heart of a pastor and interacting with pastors, it's a hard weight for them to carry. And I have, there's several questions I'm going to ask you about this, but first of all, how do you balance the life that you have now? Yeah. You know, it's uh, this has been a, it's been a skill I've developed over time, and it's also probably a grace that is realized over time, you know, over my life. And that is that that God has, you know, I think he's he gives ability. This is what grace is. It's God's ability working in our life to fulfill the call that he has for us. Um, I, I, there's people that are a lot busier than I am. I only have my own context to put that through. Uh, my my wife is definitely a a partner, you know, fully in this with me. Um, you know, we strategize together, dream together, work on things together. She's employed through the ministry and and has been very instrumental in a lot of the the strategies and systems that we've been able to put in place. Um, and you know, we have a great team. We we and honestly, I didn't used to do this very well. I I've probably always been as multifaceted in terms of my interests and passions, but there was a shift that we made. Um, and actually we, we came across, uh, uh, an individual, uh, named Dr. Dean Radke and, uh, Dean has a leadership system specifically for pastors that saved our life. Uh, it saved our ministry. It saved our marriage. And when we, you know, when we really, what we would say, learned how to lead God's way, everything changed for us. Um, when Jesus was, you know, pushing himself and his disciples were worried about him and they're going, teacher, you got to, you got to slow down. You got to eat something. You know, he, he responds and says that I have food to eat that, you know, nothing of. And he says, you know, my food, my sustenance is to do the will of the father and they're all wondering if somebody slipped him a Snickers bar, you know, behind the scenes. And, you know, Jesus was fed as he was going because he fulfilled the call on his life. And I think that when you find that sweet spot where you're doing not just what you love to do, but you're doing what you were created to do, um, that charges me up. And it doesn't mean I don't need to rest or I don't need to take a break, but I'm fired up every single day. And I, 
I only get one shot at this one life to live and I'm not going to leave anything on the field. That's kind of the philosophy that I run with. Yeah. And when you say ministry, what what are you talking about uh, at, at the church or? What yeah. So, doing? so we're structured, uh, we're structured maybe a little bit differently than, than some other, you know, uh, church centric models. And that is that we have, um, we have what we call a network model. And so I am the president of the, what we call the influence network. And within the influence network are a lot of different ministries uh, and initiatives that we have. One of those ministries is the local church. So I, I'm kind of the lead pastor at the local church at this time, as well as the president of the network. So I teach here about three times a month or so. Uh, and then, you know, I'm on the road a, a lot throughout the week. I, I'm able to kind of orbit some of the other, uh, you know, times as, as the staff kind of picks up pieces in between things. Uh, but we've structured ourselves in such a way to anticipate that and really, you know, work around that. So we have the American Pastor Project is under that umbrella. Uh, we've just recently partnered with Walt Heyer, who's a kind of a famous detransitioner. Uh, he's he's in his uh, early 80s now, but he lived as a quote unquote woman between the ages of 42 and 50. And so we've uh, we've partnered with him, and we've we've uh, um, basically acquired um, with his continued leadership over his ministry called Sex Change Regret. Uh, dot com. And so we are now running that as well. Um, we have, um, uh, you know, several other initiatives here. We have a daycare campus. We have other things. So all of this is underneath this influence umbrella. I have some for-profit things that I do as well. Um, but but that's when I say ministry, it's really holistic. You know, it yeah. it feels when I describe what I do, it feels like I need eight business cards. But in my mind, I just have one job. And that is to you know, to, to really, um, uh, uh, to, to, to be a strategic. And if I can say this without trying to bring any theology with it, I just mean it by nature of what the word is an apostolic voice. And I don't mean that by, right. Hey, I'm apostle miles. I mean that by I'm concerned and feel like my gifting is looking at the big picture of ministry, the high level, the doctrine, the direction of the church. How do we steer the church out of error, left or right, um, and and really be able to advance the gospel both here domestically and around the world? Thank you for clarifying on the episodic thing. Our people will stop twitching now, and uh, they do understand what, <laughs> uh, what you're saying. All right, so uh, the reason, one of the reasons I'm asking this question is is because, well, the culture is encroaching now. They are hyper-evangelistic yeah. in what they're doing. They were more subtle decades ago. What we're experiencing today is nothing that's new. In fact, you talk about it uh, in your book. I come from a biblical counseling world, so I understand the DSM nomenclature, and yeah. I know that, you know, for example, in 2013, they changed gender identity disorder to gender dysphoria. They yep. did that to shift the argument away from I have a problem to you are causing my confusion. But that also goes back to the earlier DSMs as well. And this is what I try to communicate to people that this is not new. It is just something that's been growing up through the sod for many decades and now is full blown. Yeah. But the reason I'm at one of the reasons I'm asking you the question uh, about your lifestyle and the choices that you're making ministerially uh, is because the pastors do feel the weight of that. Mm -hmm. yeah. And my concern would be that pastors would like, well, what would Lucas do? Uh, that compare themselves to you. So uh, you have a, and again, you're not going to say this, but I will, you have a high intellect, you have a high capacity. You use the word multifaceting, uh, multifaceted a while ago. And so that seems to be part of your personality yeah. as well. And then from an infrastructure pro uh, uh, perspective, you have a church, church network that really has a worldview that I mean, I'm assuming now, based on what you said, that they understand what's going on here yeah. and they're all on board with these uh, multifaceted purposes that you have. Now, that's important for pastors uh, to understand that everybody can't uh, do what you do, but we can applaud it. Now, my second question is, what would you say to the pastor who feels overwhelmed and it's like, how can I add this into my yeah. sermon diet? How how do I keep my people up to speed on worldview, especially if they've been in this uh, perspective, which I don't disagree with, of just preaching the word? Sure. Again, I'm okay with that. Believe in that. Uh, but there is something happening out here that's not going to leave us alone yeah. anymore. And so 
what one encouragement would you give that person that feels overwhelmed? And then two, practically, uh, how can they add or begin to communicate to uh, bring their people up to speed? Because in my world, uh, Christians, generally speaking, are not up to speed on what's going on culturally, specifically as your book, Woke Jesus, outlines. Yeah, no, that, that's that's helpful. So, um, look, and I think that you describe very well where a lot of people have found themselves um, in in the culture today and where a lot of pastors specifically have found themselves. First, I mean, th- there's multiple issues here, and I think that it's important to uh, sort of unravel the uh, um, the the tangled you know the tangled knots that we have in order to come to solutions. So so issue number one is, I think a lot of pastors are overwhelmed because uh, pastors like to be needed, and I say that as a pastor, I say that as a recovering people pleaser, um, that we like to be needed, and that um, that that there are habits that we develop in order to kind of be the savior of people in these things. And I remember when I started shifting our model to with a, more of a focus on discipleship, more of a focus on equipping, more of a focus on empowering other leaders rather than kind of being that central figure doing everything myself. Uh, Cause it's easy as a pastor to be like, I have 119 things on my to-do list and you know, there's, I'm the only person who can do them. Right. And, but the reality is that's not really true. There are some things on my to-do list that right now I don't have anybody else to give those to, but I know that's only because I've not developed leaders around me sufficiently to be able to take on those things right. and delegate the work of the ministry in that way. And so uh, the onus still remains on me to, for that, that development. And so we have to change, you know, set aside politics for a second. We have to change our, our view of what our job is. Our job is not to be the lead performer. Our job is to really be the lead developer and trainer within our organization, you know, calling out people's, you know, gifts, you know, callings, uh, um, you know, uh, character in such a way that they can fulfill that we are, you know, it's that Ephesians 4 model that the job of the the apostle, pastor, you know, teacher, prophet, you know, evangelist is to train up God's people and work for works of service. And then that, you know, the progressive church loves that line because they're like, that's what we're supposed, we're just supposed to be the hands and feet of Jesus. None of this other stuff. But he goes on to say, it says, so that, so that they don't get blown around by every wind. They don't, you know, they don't fall apart. There's there's an equipping that happens there. So, so that's philosophically, I think, a place we have to start. The second part of that is somewhere along the line, I think pastors have bought a lie that these topics that are happening in culture right now, abortion, sexuality, marriage, you know, even national sovereignty and open borders. So we could talk about uh, uh, free market, you know, versus versus socialism or something that somewhere they bought this lie that those are political topics. And th- that's right. intentional. The 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 those that are pushing this cultural Marxist agenda, they want the pastors to think these are political and they want to be able to come to them and say, hey, you're not supposed to use the church for a political thing. You know, while all the while they're using their churches that have bought this agenda for political manipulation. Now, what I tell pastors is, and the same thing I think that the Lord, you know, asked Adam and Eve in the garden is, who told you you were naked? I would say, who told you these things were political? Who told you that abortion is a political issue first and foremost? Who told you that even national sovereignty and, and border you know, control is a political issue first and foremost? Yes, it has political ramifications. These things have political ramifications, but they start as theological and spiritual issues. Our job as pastors is to teach the full counsel of the word of God in such a way that we're equipping the issues. In fact, if I, I, I'll end with this, is that I think that this is possibly one of the only generations of the church that has been unwilling to talk about uh, heresies, even identifying people by name of what is going on in culture. If you look, I'm a student of church history. You look back to early patristic history. I mean, a lot of the books were against the, uh, against the Donatists, against the Manichees, you know, against the Gnostics, you know, it was, they were writing things to clarify the Christian view by showing what they were standing against in opposition to false ideas that rose up. This has been the job of the pastor since the church began. It's still the job of the pastor, but a lot of pastors have have shrugged that responsibility, and they're failing really to live out their full calling. 
Yeah. Who was it? Uh, Alexander, the metal worker. Uh, yeah. yeah always... Paul warns about him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, that, I, was, that... <laughs> I was always curious. <laughs> I was always curious about him. Like, man, what did he do? It's like, yeah. That that passage actually freed when I wrote my book, The Christian Left, I gave it to which was my previous book, gave it to several trusted people that that know me well, knew the material well, and um as well as the publisher at that time. And they all came back on the first draft with the same comment. They said, Lucas, this is what we need. This is perfect. This is so timely. This is going to be bigger than you can even realize. Uh, but you left a chapter out. And they all said the same thing in, in their own kind of way. And I, I you know, went to each one. What do you mean by that? And they said, you have to tell us who. And and I didn't want, I mean, this is, I wrote that, that book came out in 2001. I, I wrote it in 2019, 2020, um, you know, really, uh, uh, you know, finished it during the, the start of the pandemic. And I didn't want to say names. I, I didn't want, it just, it, you know, I wanted to talk about issues without naming names. And I was studying the scriptures and I actually came across that passage where Paul addresses, you know, Alexander, the metal worker, and, you know, talks about he's done great harm. He's, you know, causing harm to others. And, and I thought, you know what, if you don't say the names, people will still get into situations where they think this person's safe because it has the word church or it has the word Christian behind them, or they have the word pastor in front of their name when really they're a wolf in sheep's clothing in this way. And so I don't say that because I like smearing people, but I address a lot of names in both the Christian left and in the newest book, Woke Jesus. Uh, but it's for the purpose of really helping guide the church to a greater understanding of wisdom. I, in fact, a lot of these people, I did extend, you know, some sort of opportunity to to reach out to them, to talk to them. Um, uh, didn't really have a lot take me up on that. Um, but but I I want to see people restored, and I really believe it's not too late for woke Christians because a lot of them have good intentions to find their way right. back to Christian orthodoxy, and that's my prayer. I'm not out here because I hate people. I'm out here because I love people, trying to steer them away from these false ideas. Yeah, I'll have these books uh, in the show notes for those of you who are watching or listening to the podcast uh, version. In 2016, he had uh, Good God, and then The Christian Left was next. And then the book that we're, I really want to talk about is uh, Woke Jesus. But um, Lucas, why why is there this uh, Christian propriety or discretion? Uh, you said this generation may be the only generation in, in church history that has a propriety to where we just don't call names. And of course, yeah. we're not talking about calling names uh, like uh, Westboro Baptist Church, where we're sure. just out there and just being blatantly um, not just weird, but uh, being antagonistic, but in a sincere way of of warning people of things that are wrong. How did we get into this mindset where we've taken Christian propriety and it's expanded its borders to where we just don't talk about people in the right Christian ways? Yeah, you know, I, I think there's a couple things that have led to that. I'm probably still formulating, you know, some of my, um, you know, full evaluation of that. But it's uh, or, or analysis, but it's um, to start with. This is really one of the first generations um, that where the church is on display at the way in which it is internally in terms of what we're doing and saying. Um, you know, you we could look back to maybe you know C.S. Lewis's day or G.K. Chesterton's day, and you might have a pastor who's quoted in a newspaper, um, right. you know, or you might have a published sermon in written form. But, you know, it, it was it was you, you didn't have the access to 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 video at the level that we do now. Um, you didn't have access to live stream like we do now. Now, anybody, Washington Post, you know, New York Times, anybody can watch a pastor's sermon on their live stream, whether they show up or not, um, and instantly be able to comment on it. And it's it's interesting because in the past, you would have Christians that would comment on maybe doctrine within the church, but now the church is having to, you know, justify its doctrine to a post-Christian world on, on why uh, uh, the things that we're saying and offering um, are true, why they are morally, you know, upright, these things. That hasn't happened since Rome. When you look at what happened in Rome in the first, you know, uh, 2,000 years ago, in the first several hundred years of Christianity, um, Christianity um, initially was kind of just dismissed as a cult. Uh, as it started gaining some momentum, it was still dismissed by Rome for a lot of different reasons. But Christians were accused of things that, uh, of, you know, 
if I can back up, 20 years ago, Christians were viewed as holier than thou, goody two shoes, uh, you know, you know, too righteous for the rest of us. Uh, none of that was true, but that was the that was the ethos about you know Christianity, right. kind of the, the the framework for it. Um, now Christians are villains. We're insurrectionists. We are, um, you know, uh, uh, we're we're creating. You know, we don't. We, you know, those that didn't get vaccinated or don't wear a mask are are harming their brothers and sisters. Are spreading diseases. Um, they are. You know, Christians are viewed as bigots because of our view of, uh, you know, what they would view as a limited view of sexuality and marriage, on uh, gender and these things. And there's accusations against Christians that we haven't seen since Rome. Because since the time of Rome, and really since the time of Constantine, Christianity successfully won over the world, at least the majority of the Western world, and convinced it that this is the most moral, upright, true, um, uh, uh, you know, um, you know, uh, faith that there ever could be, and it was generally accepted. Even those that didn't follow it still recognized the truth and validity of it, and honored it and respected it. That's been lost in the last hundred years. And so now we're at a place to where once again, Christianity is starting to be villainized. And, and to me, that's a precursor, if you know church history, to eventual persecution. Um, right. But I think that that has caused pastors and, and people to be a lot more careful about what they say, uh, to be a lot more guarded about what they say. Uh, I mean, I just had the, for the first time a Hollywood celebrity speak out against me. I've never had that before. Um, I know other pastors have had that. That was new to me. Uh, I woke up to it and and saw that saw the message, you know, publicly. Um, and so, like, we have to deal with those things in a different way. And I think that those that don't haven't really developed the skin for it and developed the um, uh, the internal constitutional, you know, makeup or or uh, internal, you know, um, spiritual integrity to walk through that. They just weren't prepared, and they're not prepared for it, and so it's easier to stay silent. Yeah, we true. We have a bigger uh, megaphone than we've ever had before, and uh, the world is smaller. Of course, we're going to have more community, and Steve Jobs is going to bring us all together. Uh, but you can't bring uh, 8 billion totally depraved people together and expect yeah. us to play nice with each other, and so that is a problem. Yeah, I'm old enough to remember when we had three radio st uh, TV stations and they uh, signed off at one o'clock after playing the Star Spangled Banner and we had one newspaper and you're not going to get your voice in the newspaper. That would be rarefied air. But now everybody has a megaphone. Everybody yeah. can you know, yeah. say what they want to. So you're talking about a person who's a uh, habituated uh, people pleaser. Uh, as you know, the terminology is the fear of man in Proverbs 29, 25. And so you, you have I've struggled with fear of man. You talk about uh, thicker skin, but what was the process for you to overcome your fear of man? Because this is an issue. It's self-censoring in our, our, our culture. We are afraid. We don't want to get into litigious issues. And then you wake up one morning and you find some Hollywood actor uh, uh, saying something about you, but you're continuing to step into it. And so what was the process of you to overcome the fear of man and say, I'm, I'm just going to do this as you appropriate the grace of God into your life. What was that transition like for you going from fear of man to being a courageous, uh, outspoken individual? You know, it's, let me, let me, and maybe it's your counselor background here. You're going to draw more <laughs> out of me than, you know, I just feel like I'm, I'm in the, uh, I'm in, you know, your, your, your office there and we're talking, I forget that the, the, you know, the world's watching right now, but let, let me be a little bit more it's, transparent. It's just, it's, it's just us. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Um, I'll, I'll be more transparent here that, that look, I, I think that it's easy to be on an interview like this and, and just always, well, we got it all together. This is why it all works. And then, right, and, and right. everybody else is out there going, I wish I could do that. You know, the reality is that there are still times where you have to do it afraid, but, but uh, say, it, that, it's, say it again, you have to do it afraid, you know, you uh, okay, have to, good, 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 you know, yeah. you have to, you, you have to just go, you know what? 
It doesn't matter what I feel right now. It doesn't matter the emotions that I'm having right now. It doesn't matter. You know, I can think of 12 reasons to stop or not to say this or not to address this about people in my family or extended family or how are they going to think? Are they going to think I'm talking about them? I mean, there's all those things that you can do or, you know, this person's at church in the front row this week. Can I really say this right now? You know, uh, are they going to leave? Are they going to stop giving? Um, Sometimes you have to be that Gideon figure and you have to do it afraid. You know, when when God looks at you, he and, you know, the, the angel says, you know, arise, you know, you know, valiant warrior and you're hiding in a wine press, you know, and I think that that's where a lot of pastors have found themselves at. And I would say, you know what, even if you're hiding in a wine press, arise because the Lord sees something in you and you can start doing it afraid and you'll be amazed at what can happen. For me, a big part of that was broken. Uh, I don't know if you ever break it completely, but it it's it's was broken in me in 2015, 2016. I lost about 40 to 50 percent of my church in about well, yeah. over about three, four week period. Very quick period of time. I, I used to always joke that you can't ruin a church in one week. And um, you know, I've changed my thoughts on that because you can. And 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 I I what happened was I committed to doing a series. Uh, because of some of the issues I saw locally, because some churches were drifting strong into progressive ideology. I'm in South Bend, Indiana, Mayor Pete Buttigieg country. Um, and I started seeing the influence on churches here and churches that were getting really pretty wacky. And and he had a strong following at that time in our area. Um, I did an eight-week series on um, establishing a biblical worldview about kind of major hot-button topics. Uh, and this is sort of leading up to an election, but I, yeah, we weren't endorsing candidates. I wasn't wearing a red hat or anything on the stage. I mean, this was just basic biblical analysis of what does the Bible have to say about, you know, um, sanctity of life, about uh, socialism versus free market. What's it have to say about um, things like, you know, marriage, sexuality, gender issue wasn't as big as it is now, but but certainly was starting to rear its head. So I, we did eight weeks of these topics. And uh, you know, normally I would do a lot of verse by verse teaching. Like, for instance, we went through the entire book of Romans on a Sunday morning, very expository, you know, uh, but but I kind of paused on that and did this series. And we lost 40 to 50 percent of our church in a very short period of time with that wow. 40 to 50 percent of our revenue. Um, and it was uh, it was I mean, at that moment that I've never had so much temptation to stop the ministry and quit the ministry as I had at that time. And, you know, our expenses were such that we were counting on that full group being there every week, our payroll, our building expenses, all the things. And here's, and this, I I was living what the pastors out there watching this who aren't addressing the topics are afraid of happening. Well, see, if you do that, this is going to happen. And what I would tell you is that I would do it over again and probably be even stronger on these issues if I did it again. And we have we grew back since, and I, we went from that straight into COVID. So I mean, we had a period of time of very you know lean years, um, but the Lord got us through. And you know, in the last eighteen months, our ministry has grown probably four times the size of what it is in scope and finances. Uh, there's a there's a level of stability. There's a level of advancement now that we're having. We're attracting you know national level staff and and you know strategic partners and these things. And God has elevated, you know, what it is that we're doing. And I really believe that it, it's not because of any great thing in us, but there is there is a, a part that faithfulness plays and a willingness to, to be obedient, even when it's hard, even at the risk of personal peril, that God always, you know, lifts people up in those situations and settings. And so that for me was something died in me. And I got to the point to where I just wasn't afraid anymore. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm. I'm a biblical counselor, but this this is not psycho uh, analysis here. Uh, this is a big deal uh, because you don't write woke Jesus, or you don't speak against the culture without a long runway, because we all struggle with fear and trepidation, and that's I mean you have crossed that uh, bridge, and you're doing well now. Uh, but I want our people to hear 
uh, that process because everybody struggles with fear of man yeah. to varying degrees. We have that sense of Adamic shame that we carry in us. And I, I like the point, agree with it completely, uh, that you can't wait to, I have zero fear. Now yeah. I'm going to step out. Uh, that's a self-reliant spirit, but a God-reliant spirit says, I'm step, I'm going to get off this boat, Peter would say, and I'm not doing it with full faith. I mean, I am a little bit nervous about how this is going to yeah. uh, roll out for me, but he did it. So I don't knock Peter for sinking in the water. I, I applaud him for actually getting out of the boat yeah. because fear accompanies these action steps that we take, but God meets us in those moments and he will only meet us when we step out, not before we step out. Yep. And so stepping out in fear, or as you say, afraid, uh, that is exactly right. And I appreciate your uh, how your life is exhibiting that. All right. So when you, you, you began as an unregenerate hum, human being, God uh, saved you, and then you move into pastoral ministry. You can't predict this path. This, uh, this path, this is not a story that you're writing. And so how did it evolve uh, from pastoral ministry to being more culturally outspoken? What were some yeah. tipping points for you or some things that uh, God uh, did in you to motivate you to expand more, step yeah. into a greater usefulness or capacity that you have? You know, it, it's it's interesting. I I mean, by no means could I have written out the path that I'm on, um, but I do feel like that there was whether whether god was showing me that or or you know just something kind of within me innate within me that was kind of you know that 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 i was moving towards these things i i couldn't have i didn't have language for all of it but um you know when we first started our church it would have been uh we planted in 2004 and i'm still the senior pastor of the church that i planted in 2004 it's rare and i am very aware right. of that for right. somebody to be in a church that long. And especially when I started the church when I was 24 years old. So this is actually our 19th year ministry. Next year will be our 20th year ministry. And, um, you know, that's that's not the norm for, for people today. Um, I think that, um, you know, God gave me some early vision and clues. Uh, when we first planted the church, I used to always carry around, this before you had these things on your cell phone, I, I had a little mini voice recorder and you know the little the little bitty tapes. I'm sure as a counselor, micro, you probably use micro those. cassette. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, you know, I would carry that thing around and just speak kind of vision into this things. I felt like the Lord was kind of putting in me and that we were trying to do. And it's it's crazy because a lot of the things that I was speaking very early on over our ministry and that I had you know that God was kind of giving me a vision for, we've seen come to pass. And and I, I think that that you know it um, you know as a visionary we of course would look to a scripture where you know write down the the, the vision so a herald can run with it you know that and and without vision people perish we, that's always been a very um, uh, conscious thing for me is sort of creating and shaping that vision in such a way that that uh, or, or or communicating the vision in such a way that people can can really get on board with it but um, we had a we had a whole kind of multifaceted picture pretty early on of what we were building towards i in some ways knew i didn't start the influence network um i i uh, uh came on um i i'm a, the uh, second generation leader of this our founder actually just passed away a few years ago uh as his health started declining um oh I, you know he came to me and and asked me early on if I would be willing to step in that role. And so I've had some time to kind of on-ramp to this um, and very thankful for the foundation that he laid and the vision there. But I always knew that there was a couple pieces that were missing. And one of those is this kind of cultural uh, um, uh, arm that we have and, and really addressing these issues that are happening. It's very easy to call that political. I, I don't see it as political. I see it more as a cultural, uh, um, you know, aspect to it. Um, but, but, you know, it's, God has surprises and he keeps opening up new opportunities and paths. And, and, um, I, I think that, you know, the church, I, I've said it this way a lot. I, I, I used to say the church, and we hear this all the time, the church is a hospital for the sick and really felt like the Lord showed me that if the church is a hospital for a sick, that's a problem because that means that the whole church, you know, essentially is a quarantine zone. And and what what I've since learned is that the church is a city on a hill and a good city has a great hospital system. But if the whole city is a hospital, you got a problem. 
And so, you know, we've really tried to embrace that to create healthy people, healthy relationships. Um, I'm needed a lot less as a local pastor than I ever was, not because we don't have any problems, but because we have a lot more people equipped to be able to minister to issues than what we ever had previously before. And it's allowed me to really be able to rise up and address some of these things on a national level um, that, that I, I don't think that the, the typical local pastor feels like they would even have time to do, you know, I've done, I've done probably, I don't know, 250 interviews this year. Um, you know, I, that's not, I know that's not normal. Um, but, but God's given me a grace for it and, and the team really here to allow me to do those things. And I don't take it lightly. Yeah. This I is mean, a lot more compl- biopic than I expected here, Rick. So I, I appreciate that. <laughs> Uh, that well, you're comparable to a WWE wrestler. Uh, they wrestle about <laughs> 250 times a year, and I've always found that to be phenomenal. Uh, whether you're wrestling or doing interviews, well, when you're I'll doing- tell you who the king of this is. Is uh, um, you know, love him or hate him, David Copperfield is said to do over 500 shows a year. Um, so he does two a day. Um, you know, all the time, and I I see people in the world like that that, you know, I don't know anything about his relationship with the Lord or anything like that, but I've never heard him talk about it. And I think, look, if people in the world can can move at that pace, then I think, I, I just think a lot of the church has been, I don't even want to say lazy, because I don't think it's a works issue. It's we haven't embraced the grace that is actually available to us to do more through Christ than we ever could on our own. And we've relied on self so much. And I hear so many Christians talking about how tired they are and how they don't have any time and all these sorts of things. And, and, you know, I just, I always kind of just, you know, shrug at that because it, it, to me, when I look at all he's done for my life, how could I not give him as much as I can? Not to the point that, you know, you want to run out and have a heart attack because you stress yourself out. But again, if you're doing this in him, I think there's ways to do it to where the stress is not the the emotion that you're leading with on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, and the only question I would have for David Cock, uh, Copperfield or my favorite WWE wrestler is, uh, or maybe you, uh, who cares for your soul and uh, how is your marriage? Those are yeah. the, the things that uh, I'm, I'm very in tune to because yep. my life is similar to yours, not nationally, but super busy. And I have a, a, a strong work ethic and, and also motivated by the passion that, I mean, God saved me enough said uh, in the sure. story. And so I want to go out and just, you know, serve the Lord in any way that I can. Uh, but I also know that behind that, there has to be a strong marriage and somebody has to be caring uh, for my soul and speaking into yeah. my life. We yeah. men can Lewis and Clark our lives, you know, across the, uh, uh, the 48 States and, uh, and lose our families and, not do well in our souls and and all of those types of things. And so those are the questions that I have for uh, high energy people yeah. like you, me, David Copperfield and WWE wrestler. But look, you have to be, you have to be intentional about that. And, you know, there's, there's seasons where we've done that better than others. Um, I think that the season I'm in right now, I have, I've, I'm very consciously aware that, in the realm in which the Lord has been opening up for me, the type of people that I've been running with, the level of relationships that I have, I don't take any of that for granted. Um, and I, I've i seen the pitfalls of other people. They let it go to their head. Uh, they make it more about, you know, prestige or prominence or wealth or something like that uh, than, than really, you know, biblical influence. Um, they, they, it starts, you know, draining their marriage or creating conflict and chaos. And, you know, as you know, my wife and I, we've been on this journey together and I, you know, we, we, we both have people in our life that, that, that we can be honest with, that we can be, you know, very transparent and yeah. hopefully even the audience would see some of that model, even in this conversation here, you know, with that, but I, you have to have those people that are willing to be honest with you back, call you when they think that you're, you know, that, that you're, you're kind of maybe getting off track a little bit. Um, and, and really that you're accountable to, and we, we always, but none of us are above accountability as believers. And so, um, you know, Chrissy and I, I think that our relationship is, is, you know, potentially better than it's ever been. It doesn't mean it's not without sacrifice. We've certain, we've sacrificed a lot to be where we are at right now. And we know that there's more sacrifice ahead, 
Um, but I'm thankful. I, I had a board member this year that said, Hey, Lucas, go on vacation, you know, go on vacation and Good make it two weeks, you know? And, and I was, I'm so thankful for that, you know, because right. I, I didn't realize probably how much we needed it until I was sitting there, you know, down in, in Clearwater and going, Hey, I, this is the right decision, you know, and you come back and you're ready to jump back in, you know, so it's so important. Yeah, so uh, Woke Jesus, uh, the, the other two books are uh, Good God and the Christian Left, and again, we'll have these links. Uh, plus, you uh, mentioned earlier, and I won't talk about that later, uh, the American uh, American Pastor Project, yeah. but we'll get that yep. in just a moment. Uh, okay, so Woke is this ambiguous, leaderless amoeba yeah. that it's you it's it's like um antifa i mean it's it's not definable it's just this blob that's out there and so what is your most succinct uh definition of woke what does it mean yeah and if you know first of all it's it's intended to be right. undefinable um wokeism is really nothing more than a euphemism for cultural marxism uh and and you know to some degree i think that we should I, even though this is the title of my book, I think the more we can get away with just, you know, a, away from calling this wokeism and just calling it what it is, it's it's right. Marxism. Um, I think that the 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 clearer the the philosophical and ideological enemies, you know, will become. Um, the, this is a uh, it, it's based upon Marx's ideas. It's based upon critical theory. Behind this is sort of this oppressor versus oppressed framework. And it's manifested itself in different areas. So, for instance, we have critical race theory. That is that that's probably most closely identified, at least, you know, has been and most identified with this woke ideology, diversity, equity, inclusion, et cetera, that we see from that. But now, very quickly, the DEI stuff is sort of, you know, you're seeing people cancel the DEI right. programs. It's getting exposed. Right. It's like once that the world catches on to that's where Marxism is trying to come in at, then they're going to jump to and double down in a different area. And now we're seeing critical, you know, queer theory is sort of the main thing. And that's being pushed. And that it's sort of this that all straight people are, you know, are systemically oppressing, you know, anybody who's got a divergent view of sexuality. And so we're, you know, we're seeing churches. Well, if you really want to love like Jesus did, you have to accept all people. And, and you know, their, their whole service now has just been become, you know, this this kind of you know rainbow you know fest and everything else that's happening and they're they're defending that with with verses and scripture that they're using as propaganda in the future might be something else you know we, we've already heard people talk about critical fat theory as a serious thing that skinny people are are systematically uh, oppressing you know uh, people that are obese and that's why airplane seats are as skinny as they are because you know we really hate people who are obese and we want to make sure that they're miserable and that they have to pay more and all these things and it just keeps looking for ways to pit people against each other, to create chaos and division in society for the purpose of breaking things down, dismantling the, the family, dismantling, you know, truth, dismantling, you know, gender and marriage and, and dismantling religion in order to get to the point to where this this phoenix of this communist utopia can rise from the ashes of the free market in the Western world and really show the world what truth, you know, is supposed to look like from a communist viewpoint. And it, it's it's insidious. It's complex. Uh, it's hard to wrap your mind around. Um, but all of that is intentional because it's easier to hide in plain sight the more confusing that they make it. Yeah, and I think that's good if we say cultural Marxism because uh, that's not angel of light stuff. Uh, woke yeah. is more like the angel of light, and it can come in deceptively. And so if we can, in the counseling world, that's what you want to do. If someone says, I'm frustrated, James would say that you're you're murdering. You know, you do not have, and so you murder. And once you can bring clear uh, uh, labels to what is happening, then people's minds just open up and they mm. see it. And it's essential that we communicate that way. Well, it doesn't, I mean, it sounds neither good nor bad. I mean, there's no way yeah. to describe it. But yeah. when you, again, cultural Marxism, what do you, what do you think their agenda is? I, I think that, you know, ultimately um, I, I've said it this way that, you know, obviously within Christianity, we, we talk of the Trinity uh, and most Christians have a have a concept of of what that means of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the unity of the three and one. 
Um, there are there are trinities within woke ideology or Marxist ideology. And the way that's playing out today is I always say that the the um the the method uh or or, or the place of worship for the Marxist, for the for radical progressive is the environment. And you will see, you know, all the attempts. Now we have, you know, critical, critical climate theory uh, is all focused on preserving what they hold to be the sanctuary of the environment. They, it, the it, In Christianity, we are called to steward the environment because God placed us here and we have a responsibility over it, but it's never to worship it. And that's condemned if we start worshiping the created things over the creator. Um, uh, within within this kind of woke Marxist, you know, uh, uh, movement that we have, there is a worship of the environment that's actually taking place. It's shifting that. Um, the the method of worship within Christianity, we we have praise, singing songs, we have prayer, we have different things within you know uh, this this sort of Marxist revolution. The method of of worship in many cases is sexuality. Uh, that is how worship is done. It, it's that that free expression is their picture of worship. And and ultimately, the God of this this uh, this Marxist movement is the state. It's statism. Um, and to go against the, you know, the the worship of this God to to reject any of, of its ideas, any of its mandates or edicts is to be seen as you know essentially godless or an atheist and this is the this is what romans used to call christians they were called atheists because they didn't worship all the gods of rome and we're seeing that repeat today in kind of a unique way and and this is i think their objective is to silence any other voice that contradicts uh this push towards statism and it's it's i call it a rebuilding of the tower of babel um, right. That in the same way, the Tower of Babel was um, a place where all you know all of the people had the same heart and mind and spoke the same language, and they were all moving in the same direction. God divided that. Why? Because what we can kind of perceive in the passages, it appears to be a tower that is actually a tower of rebellion. They were creating a place in in to go up to the heavens, basically to get above the waterline. In case God were to ever, you know, go back on his word and flood the earth again, God saw this as a tower of rebellion. He wasn't just, you know, seeing some sort of construction wonder and, you know, decided to go stomp on their sandcastle. He was seeing mankind united in rebellion against him. He divided that. Now what we have through globalism, through cancel culture, through all of this is an attempt to cancel anybody who's not going to speak the language of the tower and to push us and funnel us all into this same new structure that's being built through cultural Marxism and globalism uh, so that we would get in line and and really get to the point to where, you know, all areas of conflict or dissension based upon faith are, are stamped out and silenced uh, and this new thing can arise from within. So in simplistic terms, there's uh, three demos there is the status patriarchy that has to uh force down uh, this religious you, you describing a, a religion down on people and so they are the power brokers that really want to stay in yeah. power then you have the unbelievers that would be you and me and uh, and hopefully a, a growing many more but then there's a group of people, this third demo, they're born into this culture. Yeah. Uh, you know, as James, uh, as uh, Paul was saying, Ephesians 4, verse 17, that they're futile in their thinking, they're darkened in their understanding. I'm, I don't I don't use the word victim hardly at all because it's really a dangerous word, but I'm going to use the word apostle, so I'm going to use the word victim here and then caveat <laughs> Uh, but there's a victimization that they're born into this culture. First, they're unregenerate, and two, the indoctrination of this religion that the patriarchy yeah. is, uh, the the um, governmental patriarchy is pressing down on them. All right. So, in communicating to them, how how would you communicate to the patriarchy uh, who has just ungodly agendas? And then, how would you communicate uh, to those who are born in this and cannot think any other way? I mean, they don't know another way to yeah. think. Yeah, I think that let, let's start with the second one first, and that is, uh, and I'll, I'll offer two resources for, uh, I'm sure we'll have some some leaders and ministers and things that are watching yeah. this or parents out there. Um, yeah. I, I actually worked on a book with Dr. George Barna and a handful of other um, just, you know, tremendous thinkers that is is called Helping Millennials Thrive. 
And, you know, when the average person thinks a millennial, they think of somebody who's in school right now. And that's those aren't millennials. That's Gen Z. Uh, And millennials are the ones that oftentimes have kids in school. Uh, I'm kind of the oldest of the millennials or the youngest of of Gen X is, is, you know, where my age falls in at, you know, my early in my early 40s, really pushing towards my mid 40s here. Um, And so uh, that would be a great book for people. I also a buddy of mine, Jason Jimenez, just released a book called Parenting Gen Z. Uh, that would be a great resource for people as well. Um, but I think that we have to recognize, um, we have to find ways to recognize the validity and the intentions of this new generation and people kind of born within this worldview. Um, you know, for instance, if if you have a child that's very passionate about the environment, right. you have to show them that 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 it's not a you know it's not a collision that's not a collision course with christianity but there is a there is a false version of that and there is a true version of that how you know the bible says there's a way to prosper that's not of god there's a way to hold on to these ideologies that are skewed and and you know been obscured from the truth and so you know i would go to that child and i would really work with them on going you know if if you have avenue and access you know if if and and you know uh able to disciple them really affirming hey i love that you care about this so much and i love your passion let me show you in scripture where where the apostle paul when he was still went by saul was so zealous and all the conflict that he created in Jerusalem that they had to sneak him out of the city because it was getting so bad. Uh, and then it says the church enjoyed a time of peace afterwards because he was using his zealousness in such a way that was actually disruptive and later matured through that. Let me show you where God, you know, created this world and has given it to us to, to you know, to govern, to manage, to have dominion over, to be good stewards of. And let's talk about the differences between that and what the world has to offer in this expression. You know, uh, same with, you know, when, when you look at some of the issues with sexuality and, and um, you know, uh, uh, you know, I, I mentioned Walt Heyer earlier and, and sex change regret that that this is a, this is a, you know, so much of this is based on trauma. There's so much trauma in this generation right. that they they don't know how to act. They don't know how to get through it. And the world is giving them things that they can utilize to mask that trauma by certain affirmations and certain, you know, ideals. And 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 it seems to be the band-aid they're looking for, but it's not the true solution. We have to take them to scripture and help them see God's solution for the trauma in their life, Christ's solution for the trauma in their life. Uh, on the other side of this, what do we say to the to the to the state, to the powers that be, I think that, you know, we have to look at examples in church history. I think of people like Justin Martyr, um, who, you know, uh, you know, offered defenses of the faith um, to Caesar, uh, basically imploring them to take a different look at Christians, to show, I mean, you know, look, um, Romans 13 is used against Christians to try to get them to behave in all situations. But it's not the only thing the Bible has to say about Christians in government. We see all sorts of examples of civil disobedience, you know, from the first pro-life group in in history, which was the the Hebrew midwives that saved Moses, to, um, you know, Daniel when he's praying, when he's told not to, Peter and John when they continue preaching after they've been in prison and beaten. Um, You know, we see those examples all the time. We have to be able to, you know, issue, I think, statements to, um, to unbelievers in the world that don't know Christ, uh, that are in power, to be able to explain to them in terms that they can understand, uh, even if they don't come to know Christ right. through that, that we can at least defend the the intention, the morality, uh, um, and I would say the superiority of Christianity as a faith. And I don't mean that in a way that we lord that over anybody or we think highly of ourselves, but that Christianity in and of itself is the only faith that really can bring liberation to people, that can bring, you know, solutions for the issues of the world. Um, And I think that, you know, it's easy to make those arguments, but few, you know, few are doing it today, or I should say not enough people are doing it today. What's your perspective on uh, being harsh and unkind and shaming from the Christian world or the conservative world, getting our message? Uh, I'll just use X as an example, uh, our cyberspace dumpster fire. Uh, what's your perspective on that harshness from the Christians? And it's it's almost like we're meeting fire with fire, and maybe that's the 
that's the motive behind it. Let's just talk to them the way they talk to us. Yep. Where are you at on that? So it's interesting, you know, Twitter, X, whatever we want to call that. that that's it's my smallest platform uh, on social, and I think it's it's because I I I struggle to get into the fray at the level of you know um, uh, conflict that I see exhibited so often in the world, and and I, I my personal view, uh, and now I'm much stronger in my books. You know, my books are the kind of the place right, where right, I've right, been a lot right. more direct on that. I have no problem being strong on those things. There are times that we have to speak against Alexander the metal worker to bring back you know earlier conversation. But I think that there are ways in which that Christians have taken notes from what I would call either immature conservative Christians or immature conservatives who are Christians, or we've taken notes from, from godless conservatives of how to push back against progressivism and the Democratic okay. Party and the left and Marxism yeah. and all these things. We've taken cues from them, and we've actually we've actually embodied their style more than we've inspired them to follow our method of dealing with these right. things. Okay. And yeah. and the flip side of that is there are Christians who are just they they are using um, they are using Christianity as a as as a justification for weakness, um, for timidity for um uh uh you know for not getting in the fight you know an excuse on why they don't get in and that's wrong too and so there's always that balance and and it's it's situational a lot of times jesus called people whitewashed tombs he called them vipers right. he called them serpents there's a place for that um but i think that we have to do it in such a way that we never that we never destroy somebody's dignity in the process um, that's not the intention. The intention is to win them over. Uh, when that can't be done, we have to, though, still speak out in a way that protects others that might be led astray. Yeah, when he turned the tables over in the temple, uh, as we like to say, righteous anger. But there were people that right after that scene, they came up to him. They weren't afraid of him. They saw yes. something redemptive in him. Yeah. And so he was not a polarizing figure in that way. He was only polarizing to those who... Uh, had no interest for what he had. Yeah. All right. So thank you. Thank you for your time. I want to give you just a quick lightning round. Uh, just got a couple of minutes yeah. left. And so why should someone read uh, Woke Jesus? I, I, if I can say this humbly, I, I believe it to be the definitive work <laughs> on yeah. um, the definitive work on understanding wokeism, its implications on the church and what we can do about it. Yeah, I understand. You, you, I don't know. I wouldn't read it at all. I'm not even sure why I written the book. I mean, obviously, you. That's what, when I promote my books. It's like, what do you want me to say here? Obviously, it's a good book. I want you to when, read it. When no, I read, I mean, <laughs> when I, I don't want to over spiritualize it, but when I read "Woke Jesus," I am thankful that the Lord kind of put those words in in me. And and again, not trying to over spiritualize that more yeah, than what yeah. it sounds like, but that I, I'm. Man, I'm blessed by it, and and I think it's it, I, the stories I'm getting back from people have been so encouraging of helping pastors, church leaders, Christians, you know, of all kinds, really be able to navigate these issues that they're facing today because most people are not hearing it from the pulpit, right? And it's not just culturally rele relevant for today; it is, but there's also a historical uh, aspect of this book yes. that will be beneficial to so many people. All right, so what is the uh, uh, the American? pastor project and why should yeah. someone sign sign on so the american pastor project really came out of the success of my last two books and what i found as i traveled the country speaking and doing media tours and everything else was that there was a lot of people that still were struggling to find a church near them that was standing up um in the pulpit uh either promoting a christian view of these issues or standing against uh the false ideology of these issues and and so we launched the American Pastor Project as an as an initiative of the the Influence Network, and essentially it starts AmericanPastorProject.org, where pastors, church leaders, anybody you know, anybody who has a, a a Christian show ministry, we define pastor pretty broadly. Worship pastor, you know, could be somebody who writes kids curriculum. A Christian journalist would would even qualify. Anybody who touches Christian doctrine at any level, we want them to take this stand to make a commitment to join with us 
to to basically promote historical Christianity, Christian orthodoxy, and to stand against wokeism, globalism, uh, LGBT doctrines, all these things within the church. And we have about 500 plus signers right now that have already joined with us. And we are actually populating a map of churches around the country that people can go to, that they can look at this map, find a church near them. And I always say it's a great tool. If you're not sure where your pastor stands, then take them to the website and see if they'll sign it. And you're going to find out real quickly if your pastor's woke or not. Yeah, I have signed it, and uh, I, we will have these links uh, in the show notes here so that people can get to these various Woke Jesus, uh, this particular website, but also lucasmiles.org. Awesome. Uh, I I think you're brilliant. Uh, I think you're well-studied. I think you're well-versed in the Scripture. Uh, God has given you the ability to articulate. I think you're a gift to the church. I think you're an example for people mm-hmm. to follow. And I would just encourage people to check out uh, the website, get the book, uh, Woke Jesus, and then also check out this statement at the American Pastors Project. And then see if you can get Lucas uh, to come to your place uh, to speak. I'm sure he's quite uh, busy. He probably has 50 more slots out of his, uh, he can add to his 250 uh, interviews that he, <laughs> we got, that he I, does. So he I can, got all the time in the world. We'll make it happen. Nothing, nothing but time. But I do want you to check out these resources. Uh, what would be two books that you would also recommend? This is the last question that you would also yeah. recommend uh, to uh, continue to study and become well-versed uh, yeah, in, yeah. In this cult- cultural battle that we're in. You know, um, uh, 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 I, I have the benefit of knowing a lot of people in this, right. in this business. And so, um, you know, and you kind of said the title of one of them right there, uh, Jim Garlow's book, Well-Versed is a tremendous okay. read. It's, it's very approachable. It's a great small group study. We've used it within our ministry, uh, covers a lot of these issues. Uh, I think Eric Metaxas's book, Letter to the American Church, is a great companion okay. piece, um, easy to read, uh, and but really hits hits home. I mean, it's a home run on this topic. And then I got a buddy. I actually have this on my desk right now. It wasn't we didn't plan this, but a buddy of mine, Jason Jimenez, just wrote Hijacking Jesus, and okay. uh, the subtitle there is How Progressive Christians Are Remaking Him and Taking Over His Church. Um, we we both have read each other's books. It, they're great companion pieces together um, and are going to give you different information on kind of the same same topic. Right. And, and top of mind right now, I just finished uh, Miriam Grossman's book, Lost in Transnation, uh, which mm. was an outstanding book. But there is a lot of them out there. But I wanted to get your top. Uh, yeah, because I, I go through uh, books like a chain smoker that I I just enjoy uh, taking in the information and learning from others. And I'm enjoying your book. I got a late notice on this interview. And so I couldn't get into the book. It's, I like to read the book before I talk to the person. So I've just gotten into it, but I will complete it. Lucas, thank you so much thank for you. your time. Very gracious of you. Uh, please check out the show notes uh, to this interview. You'll find a lot of links that will take you to all the places that you need to go. God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.